My name is Matthew, one of the pastors here. It's a joy to gather with you, a real joy to gather in the flesh with the people of God and to sit underneath the Word of God along with you. If you would, be in your Bibles in Mark chapter 3, 1 through 6. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above, writes Robert Robinson in the mid-1700s. Prone to leave God. Prone to leave the God we love and the God who loves us. Do you ever feel like that? I know I do. It would be nice if once we gave our lives to Jesus and He made us new creations, it'd be nice if we never had to deal with sin again. But that's not true. We do have to deal with sin. One day that will be the case, praise God. But right now we deal with indwelling sin. There's this flesh, this old person, this old man that still hangs around even after we've been forgiven and made legally right before God. That flesh can oftentimes be extremely subtle and sneaky. It's still around. And sometimes the flesh likes to hide most and easiest inside of religious circles, inside of religious practice, even around God's Word. It's like camouflage. Religion can be camouflage for the flesh. Not the sort of camouflage that we have a lot today that is worn to be seen because of fashion. No, this is camouflage that's trying to hide something. It's trying to hide the flesh. And in Jesus' day, those that were particularly good at this were the Pharisees. Their flesh was hiding inside of religion. It was coated in this external religious garb, and it was hiding there. And the Pharisees, they took their religion very seriously. They took the Word of God very seriously, and they seriously thought that they were honoring God. But as we'll see today in our text, they were missing, in their practice of religion, they were missing the whole purpose of religion, the whole purpose of the Word of God. They're going in the wrong direction, and what is the direction they're supposed to be going in? We, we read it from Deuteronomy this morning, but we see it again in, in Mark 12. A scribe comes to Jesus and says, which commandment is the most important of all? Help us, Jesus, weed through all the interpretations and all the traditions and all the man-made laws and all the stuff that we see in your scriptures. Can you cut through all that, Jesus? Yes, he can. Jesus answers, the most important is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is like it. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So Jesus cuts through all the fluff 
all the confusion. If you want to fulfill the law of God, you do these two things. You love God and you love others. Very simple, hard to do, very simple to understand and to communicate. In our text today, the Pharisees are missing it on both points. God's word is not leading them to love God, and it's not leading them to love others. And we would be foolish this morning to think that we don't make the exact same mistakes. The flesh is still alive and well in us, even as Christians, and we can allow the flesh to hide in ways that God does not approve of, that miss the boat. So if our knowledge of the Word of God, if our practice of Christianity is not propelling us towards love of God and towards love of others, we're missing it. We're missing the purpose of God's Word. So that's where we're going this morning. We're going to take them in reverse order. God's Word needs to lead us to love others, and God's Word must lead us to love God. Let's pray for the Lord's help. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray for your Holy Spirit to come now and to expose us, to challenge us, to give us eyes to see where we have been missing you, God, even in the midst of doing things like reading your word. We pray you would send your Holy Spirit to convict and to comfort and to guide us into repentance and in faith, into the joy and the hope and the freedom of your Son, Jesus Christ. God, use our time together today for your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to look at this story in its entirety. We're going to, I'm going to read it in its entirety, and then we'll look at it on both application points. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus, the Pharisees, to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. So number one, the word of God must lead us to love others. In our story today, there's a combustion of forces that is beginning to happen. It's climaxing. It's growing. We've been seeing this over the several last weeks, several stories. The Pharisees do not like what's going on with this man, Jesus. They don't like what he's doing. He seems to be breaking God's word, and he definitely is breaking their traditions. They don't like it. And today, there's this combustion. It's like a showdown. I'm reminded of those pay-per-view commercials that I used to see where, you know, you get the two boxers together, and it's just, it's just an epic showdown of forces. And that's kind of what's going on right here. And the characters, who are they? It's Jesus. It's the Pharisees. 
and it's this man with a withered hand. And where are they to make this all the more intense? They are in the synagogue, a holy place. And when are they there? They're there on the Sabbath, on a holy day. Holy place, holy day, combustion of forces. They are here, and what are the Pharisees doing? They are watching. It's an an intense watching and ongoing activity that they have. They're watching Jesus to do what? To accuse him. It's their heart posture. They want to accuse Jesus. They know that when Jesus gets around the hurting and the broken, what does he do? He heals. That's what this guy Jesus is doing all over the place. He's healing. He's making people's lives better. But on the Sabbath, they also know it's unlawful, according to their traditions, to do any work on the Sabbath. Blake talked a lot about that last week. Can't do any work. And it got ridiculous. If your shoelaces have a knot in them, you can't untie it. You got to wait till tomorrow. It's too much work. Sabbath is a day of rest. So there's this man with a withered hand there. Is Jesus going to heal him? If he heals him, he's doing work. And therefore, by law, Jesus could be put to death. So they think that they have him trapped. We're going to bring out the law on this guy. Right? The appropriate thing to, be, to say is, bro, you got to come back tomorrow. Sorry about your hand. And it's the way I sometimes feel when I'm driving up. 85 and our family's hungry and we stop to get Chick-fil-A and then we realize it's Sunday. There ain't no chicken today. Get back in the car, kids. I'm not comparing Chick-fil-A to the Pharisees. Chick-fil-A has their own reasons for doing what they, what they do and I affirm all that. Glory to God. But it's a similar sort of thing. It's a similar feeling that this man even possibly is feeling. He's got this withered hand. Is Jesus going to heal me? Or are these other laws and these technicalities more important? So that's where the Pharisees are, and they think they're going to trap Jesus. We're going to throw the law down on this guy, and we're going to get him. It's like Jesus says, okay, guys, you want to, you want to go with the law? We can go with the law. I'm the Lord of the law. I'm the fulfillment of the law. We can go to the law. You are the ones that actually should be trembling in the face of the law. So Jesus says to the man, Come here. Pulls him out of the crowd. He's a test case now. Exhibit A for what Jesus is about to do. The moment is incredibly, incredibly tense. And he says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? So they had provision. Actually, you could save a life. But if somebody was in danger... I mean, if somebody was in danger of of losing their life, you could save them. But you could not bless, could not do anything above that. And and Jesus sort of bypasses their technicality and goes deeper. He goes deep into the purpose of the law, which they're not even considering. And he frames it in terms of good and evil, good and harm. Is it good or is it evil for me to heal this man of his hand? He flips the script on them, gives them a grid that they're not used to to looking at. That's not how they formulate their lawfulness. Their lawfulness is is built around their traditions and self-righteousness. And Jesus says, no, lawfulness is about God. 
And it's about honoring God and being good and doing good. Good and evil is what determines our lawfulness. Lawfulness is driven by something being good, reflecting God's character. And this leaves them stuck. They are silenced. No words. We got no words because obviously we can't say that, it's, that God's word is supposed to uh, lead us to do harm to others. We can't say that. But what if we said that the law of God, the word of God, it supports doing good? Well, then Jesus is going to heal the guy. And it's going to let Jesus off the hook and our trap's not going to work. So they're stuck. They are stuck. And it's like they're talking to themselves, I can imagine. It's like, did Jesus really just shoot holes in our entire religion with that one question? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He just called our religion Swiss cheese. Holes all over it. Doesn't fit together. Not consistent. Full of hypocrisy. The word of God had become something that it was never meant to become and do something it was never meant to do. And the tragedy here is in the elevation of their self-righteousness and their traditions, what's happening? They're missing this guy. They're not loving people. There's no love in their hearts toward this man that's in pain. They probably considered him cursed. I mean, there's no care for this guy. No care. That's tragic. Such a fixation on the technicalities of the law and their traditions that they're blind to seeing people in need, blind to people hurting. They would rather fulfill their little technical Sabbath games, their law, than to see this man get his hand healed and his entire life transformed. That's sad and that's tragic. And we, church, are not above doing the very same thing. We, in our pursuit of God sometimes, and God's Word, and our practice of Christianity, we can get fixated on the wrong thing. And we start adding laws upon laws and practices upon practices, and before we know it, we are missing those in need. There's no longer love coming from our lives to other people. That's tragic. It's especially challenging to us cerebral folks who love conversations. We love conferences. We love content. But we have to ask, where's all that going? Where's all that going? It's not that we kill the study of God's Word. No, we put flesh to it. God's Word will not allow us to be imbalanced in this sort of way. That's James 1. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is that we visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Faith without works is dead. We're not saved by works. We're saved by faith. But true, authentic faith in God vertically is going to be leading to good works of love towards neighbor. That's the whole point. Jesus here is fulfilling it all for us. He is fulfilling the law. He knows exactly what the law is doing. It leads him to see this man. He sees him. That's the first step. You have to see those who are hurting. And then he engages him. And Jesus restores his hand miraculously. 
What's kind of even ironic is Jesus doesn't do any work. The guy, the guy just stretches out his hand and is healed. So it's like Jesus in some way technically fulfilled their little Sabbath game. But they hate it. They hate him for it. We must allow God's word to usher us into God's world to bless people for God's glory. If we're not doing that, we are short-circuiting what God has for us. Secondly, we must allow God's word to lead us to love God. Love God. As we begin our story today, the Pharisees are here to watch and accuse Jesus. And at the end of the story, they are set on destroying what a shift. Just wanting to accuse. Now I want to destroy this man. And what a very different response than John the Baptist. Than the disciples. Than some in the crowds. What a very different response. Same scriptures. They would have known, the Jews knew the scriptures. Very different response than the Pharisees. They are not receiving Jesus. They are rejecting him. His identity we've seen already. Mark making very clear to us. Jesus is God. He's the one who forgives sins. He's the bridegroom. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the great physician. He's the Lord of the law today. In our text, he is the Messiah. So why are the Pharisees not receiving him? Why are they so upset? Jesus says in our text today, he's grieved at their hardness of heart. He's angry at their hardness of heart. They have become hard instead of allowing the word of God to draw them into humility and desperation, into guidance and in pointing them to the Messiah. Instead of doing that, they've allowed the word of God to be inverted so that they can pat themselves on the back and it can support their own traditions and sense of self-righteousness. Jesus, therefore, is a threat. Jesus is a threat to self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is a religious self-sufficiency that denies spiritual need. Self-righteousness, whatever form it may take, is a religious self-sufficiency that denies spiritual need. These are the same Pharisees that we already saw in Mark 2 when Jesus says, I did not come to call the healthy. I came for the sick. The healthy have no need for a doctor. The sick do. That's you guys, Pharisees. You don't see your need. You think you have it all together. And this makes Jesus angry. One of the few places in the Scriptures we see Jesus angry. 
He's angry because their technicalities of the law have led them away from loving this man with the hand. And he's angry that they're completely missing it. And that they're full of self-righteousness and there's no love for God anywhere in their religion. Jesus does not get angry with the hurting, with the broken, with the sad, with the outcast, the marginalized, the sinner. Jesus doesn't get angry with those people. He gets angry with those who think they have it all together. And he is angry here. They are missing God's word as it stands in incarnate flesh right before them. We see ultimate hypocrisy on display here. Ultimate irony. On this holy day about God, these Pharisees want to destroy God. This day when they're talking about saving life or killing it, the author of all life is standing before them and they want to kill him. They want to kill life himself. They even conspire with Herodians. This is how hard-hearted they've become. They're missing everything. They're missing everything. It's like the story of Pharaoh when his heart just gets harder and harder and harder. I mean, the evidence is mounting against you. Let God's people go. You're not going to win this battle. It's like the evidence mounts. You should repent. You should repent. Stop doing what you're doing. But their hearts continue to get hardened and more and more hardened. They can't see it. So they go and they conspire with Herod. Supporters of King Herod. These were Jews that were aligned with, with Rome. Like, that's how hard we can become where we just, we stop seeing reality. And we do things that are so irrational. They don't make any sense apart from a hard heart that doesn't want the truth, that doesn't want to submit to King Jesus. God's word is meant to empty us of ourselves. It's meant to empty us of self-righteousness from placing hope in ourselves and in our efforts. Paul says this in Romans 3.19, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. If you study God's word, you come to realize you are a sinner. And when we lean on our performance, When we lean on ourselves, we are leaning away from God. We're leaning away from love of God. The the word of God convicts us of sin, but it doesn't leave us there. It then ushers us into hope, into glory, seeing Jesus Christ, our Savior, and worshiping him and finding love there for him. It's what the word of God does, does to our hearts. And when we lean into ourselves, We're saying no to Jesus' work on the cross, and you're not going to find love there anymore. 
You're going to find bitterness. You're going to find hypocriticalness. You're going to find criticalness. No joy. No freedom. When we actually empty ourselves of how great we are, that actually moves us closer to Jesus and seeing Jesus. And then we get joy. We get freedom in that way. And the truth this morning is for all of us that we're all guilty of this. We're all guilty of not loving God and not loving others. We're all guilty of even using God's word for ways that are self-righteous and evil. Patting ourselves on the back, thinking that we are something that we are not. We are the self-righteous. We are legalists. Someplace in our heart, that's all of us. And we are, spiritually speaking, like this man in our story. Our hearts are withered. And they are in need of great redemption and restoration that only the touch of Jesus can supply. And the great news this morning for us is the gospel. Jesus will restore us, and he does. Romans continues, verse 21, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So the whole law, it's all about Jesus. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Jesus dies for the self-righteous legalist. There is anger here that he has towards the Pharisees, but it is mixed with compassion. It is mixed with grief because Jesus loves them too even when they will string him up on a cross, he would pray, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus dies for us that are fixated on ourselves, that are fixated on self-righteousness, that are law-obsessed. He dies for us, and through his blood, we are forgiven, and we are empowered by his Spirit to then be his witnesses in the world, to truly love God and to love others. That's what our new hearts in Jesus as new creations, that's what we do. Robert Robinson, the hymn writer, also wrote in, his, in, his, in that same hymn, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I am constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. He wrote that hymn in his early life. He became a pastor and a theologian. But later on in his life, he actually left the faith. And he was long gone, it would seem, until one day he hops in a stage cart and there's a lady sitting next to him who begins to read his hymn. And then she shares with him 
how meaningful that hymn is to her. She has no clue who she's talking to. He tries to change the subject. He's a little bit uncomfortable, doesn't want to deal with this. But she keeps, incess- she keeps pursuing him and pursuing this conversation till finally he's had enough. He says, ma'am, I'm the one that wrote that hymn. And I would give anything to be back in that place of joy with God as I was as that young man writing that hymn. Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I am constrained to be. God would use that day in that stagecoat to bring him back home. Grace chased down Robert. And grace is chasing down us today. If we find ourselves wandering wandering outside of the church and, quote, religion, or maybe we're wandering and we're deep in it. If we are wandering here today, God's word calling you by grace. Grace is calling you home. The fullness of love is calling you home. Like the father and the prodigal son, arms are open wide. You need not jump through any other hoops. You just come back and receive the grace and the glory the acceptance of your Father in heaven based upon the work of the Son. This morning, if you're wandering, come home. And let's live as the church, as a beacon of light that is living out our true calling and the true purpose of God's Word, that we would be led to love God and we would be led to good works as we love others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for grace today in the gospel. We thank you, God, for exposing us like a good doctor would do to expose our issues and healing us, God, that you don't leave us where we are. Thank you for grace upon grace that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. We flee our self-righteousness today and we fling ourselves upon your mercy. We thank you for your restorative touch who returns us to the people you have called and created us to be. Empower us now to worship you and to love others well. It's in your name that we pray for your glory. Amen.